0: Welcome to the Apostolic Review, a community of apostolic authors, bloggers, podcasters, and theologians. In today's episode, Pastor James Chesser interviews pastor and author Rodney Shaw. They discuss his latest book, Church Work. We hope that you enjoy today's episode.
1: Welcome to this special episode of the Apostolic Review. We have a treat for you today. We have with us Pastor Rodney Shaw. He's the senior pastor at New Life Austin in Austin, Texas, where he and his wife have served in various capacities for 30 years. Pastor Shaw preaches and teaches internationally, specializing in ministry development and training. He's also the author of a fantastic and comprehensive new book called Church Work. Pastor Shaw, it's truly an honor. Thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Brother Chester. I'm honored uh, for this opportunity to, to chat and uh, just just glad to be on a Apostolic Review. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, sir,
1: the honor is truly ours, brother. And I wanna just get right in uh, to this if we can. Um, I've been reading your book, and my impression is that it can be a powerful and timely tool for apostolic leadership and biblical development. Uh, my first question for you, is this what motivated you um to write this book
0: well we could probably fill up our time together on this but let me try to succinctly say it's basically two things first of all um i spent 18 years of my ministry as an assistant pastor and I, i remember going to conferences and various things and it seems like Everything was always directed towards the senior Mm. pastor. And as I would sit there, you know, there would be all this conversation about vision and progress and all this. And, you know, all the pastors are jazzed. They're ready to go. And I would always be just I would be sitting there thinking, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I go Mm. home. I'm going to do exactly what I was doing before I came here. Um, And it made me really start to ponder. Is there is there. Things that are helpful for the rest of us. Amen. Most most of the leadership material out there is written; it's targeted at top there leaders. You, go. Uh, you know, senior pastors, CEOs, executives. And I really began in a church context to to really wrestle with that. Is there something for the rest mm-hmm. of us? What are, what principles apply to me? I'm an assistant pastor. What are principles? Uh, what what applies to my leadership team? Uh, those volunteers that are leading, they're killing it. They're knocking it out of the park right. every day. Um, what what applies to them? But the second thing. Was that I, I used to read a lot of leadership stuff, and uh, I think today still probably the largest section of my library is leadership and, you know, not just leadership, but there's also that 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 set of. I don't know what you call them. They're churchy books. Yeah. They're, you know, I know written by like all the megachurch guys. They're kind of church growthy, kind of yeah. leadershipy. They're kind of all that. Well, I've got tons of those books. It, but I got really frustrated because it seemed like everything was just the same old mm. thing repackaged. Yeah. And to me, it didn't seem like it was rooted in theology. I felt like I was reading secular leadership concepts with just, that had been repackaged. Right. They changed the nomenclature. They pushed it down to a church environment. So to, to answer your questions succinctly, one, I was looking for and reflecting on leadership principles from a theological perspective in the yes. church. And two, I was really trying to contextualize leadership principles and, of course, followership. I'm sure we'll get into that. It was a huge part for me. Uh, I was trying to contextualize that in, in the lives of people that are not key mm-hmm. leaders, and although I would argue my my book is helpful for anyone that serves in the church, and that's the way I've advertised it, whether you're a senior yeah. pastor or Sunday school Absolutely. teacher, um, it really, really gets down past that sort of top leader sort yeah. of thing and tries to touch everybody. So that's kind of the backdrop, you know, of what motivated me to write the book.
1: Well, thank you. I, I it's it's interesting to hear you say. Like what brought you to uh, write it this way, because I'm reading it as a as a lead pastor and I feel like you wrote it for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's success. I I did my job. Well, the point I make in the uh, in the preface um, and the preface, the preface is a little more technical than the rest of the book, because I'm trying to. I'm trying to speak to people and explain to them philosophically and theologically what I'm trying to do with the book. And in the preface, I point out I think these principles apply to everyone, yeah. and I really, I really feel strongly about that. But at the same time, you know, these things that impact a senior uh, pastor, they still work for a head usher. Yes. You know, these are just solid, in my opinion, solid just principles of doing doing church. So, hence, that's the reason I titled the book "Church Work." It's about how we work in the fantastic.
1: church. Fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, Sister Marquez from our Apostolic Community, she framed this question this way, and and you may have just answered it, basically answered this question, but I want to uh, read this aloud to you. She she questioned, she framed the question this way: What does the author believe sets his book apart from other books? You mentioned that. Um concerning the same same subject matter.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, I think a few things. Um one is I really for me, it really does begin with theology. It doesn't begin with leadership. Yes, sir. Uh, for me, for me, everything is theological. I think that way, I process mm-hmm. that way, and it, it begins with theology and it fleshes itself out from there. So um, I don't know that that's you know entirely unique to my book, but I, I that's my starting point. The uh, another thing that's unique I think about the book is that I give one third of the book. There's there's thirty chapters. One third of the book is devoted to followership, and I don't think you see that in any other book directed at church work. And now there are some great books out there on followership, and I chronicle most of those in in one of my chapters. But most of the time, you don't get that treatment in a book. There are also some other things that are unique in the book. I think you know concepts that uh, you know. Obviously, if you if you're well read, you know probably a, a whole lot of what I say, you know, you would say, ah, that sounds like some other writer. And totally fair. You know, very few of us actually have original. But I do think there are some things, you know, many of these chapters, the nuances, at least, I think are original to Mm me. Um, The the concept of follower centric leadership, I'm sure that's out there somewhere. Um, But several of the concepts, I think, are nuanced. uh, And so, in other words, I'm not repackaging this book. You know, there's basically when you when you talk about nonfiction books, and particularly the genre of books, there's basically two kinds of books. There's research-oriented books, and there's experience-based right. books. This book is sort of a blend of those because in the early years, I did read a lot. I read a lot of leadership. So in that sense, it was it was research-based. But this book is primarily experience-based. In other words, I'm sharing. I'm not trying to present research, Excellent. and that's why there are no footnotes in the book. Now, I quote a lot of people Mm -hmm. because I found a lot of worth in what they said, but this is not a research Mm -hmm. book. I'm not putting forth a proposition and then trying to substantiate it. I'm sharing basically in this book two things. One, my personal experience in the 30 plus years of ministry. And two, I'm sharing just sort of my personal Mm -hmm. reflections as I have moved throughout various roles. So this is not a research book. It's an experience book. And of course, that's up to anyone to judge whether or not it's helpful or not. Excellent. I, w- I want to just kind
1: of throw you a little bit of a curveball now, because just it's just how my brain works. Um, but I, I, I hear what you're saying from the experience that you've had at, at New Life. Where did it start for you at New Life? If you don't mind me asking, you're now the senior pastor there. Um, but where did this? Where did it? Where did it start there for you? Um, working in the church, what was your first role there?
0: Well. <clears throat> It's quite interesting. I'll fast forward the story really fast. Uh, again, that th- we could take a whole podcast. I I was in Austin uh, working in a church plant. Uh, that's a whole story. I won't get into sure. all that. And when Brother Bernard moved to Austin to start a uh, new life, and my wife and I, <clears throat> I was 22, I believe, at the time he moved to Austin. We had already been here for over a year. Uh, So I'll tell you how young we were. We came fresh out of Bible college, started church. It didn't end very well. We had decided we were leaving. And so we had a group of about uh, 20 people that we were teaching a Bible study to. Of course, all of them weren't faithful all the time. But we had a a group of about 20 contacts that we'd pulled together. Um, When Brother Bernard came to town was about the time we were leaving. And I called him up. I didn't know him. Of course, he didn't know me. I'm not sure. I was thinking of this the other day. I don't know if I'd even read any of his Mm. books at the time. I may have. I think I may have read The Oneness of God or The New Birth, maybe in Bible college. But I knew about him, but I didn't know him. And so I called him up and I said, hey, you're new in town. Uh, I have this Bible study. We're leaving. Why don't you come teach my Bible study? These people need Mm. a pastor. You can take the people. I'm Mm. out of here. And, uh, long story short, he came and taught the Bible study and he said, well, why don't you stay and help me? I said, well, because I'm not staying, I'm (laughs) leaving, but as long, as long as I'm here, I will help you because I'm not going to be idle while I'm here. Well, long story short, you know, 30 years later, I'm the pastor of the church. So that's the fast forward version of the story. That's amazing.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. And that's so important, you know, um, and how you wrote the book and your target audience, to have just that context of experience and being there and seeing all the ins and outs and understanding that type of uh, that level of information and that level of experience. So a lot of folks in the apostolic review community, pastor, um, uh, we have a lot of uh, great young middle-aged and even elders that are, that are uh, writing currently trying to put out a book, trying to produce. And um, so there's always these questions uh, surrounding, um, a new book. We always want to hear from the author about, you know, how he gets there. So I want to just take a on before we're going to get into the, the meat of your book, or I feel like some of the, the meaty elements to it that we want to discuss. But before we go into that, uh, I want to take just a minute and talk about your, the, the process of writing the book itself, your process. And, uh, we had a few questions from the air community about this. So when did, let's start here. When did you begin to put pen to paper, uh, with all of this information?
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, church work is not my first uh, writing endeavor. Um, I have, I've been writing for over 30 years. Uh, It's my third book, actually. And uh, I have, I don't know, I would have to count. I have probably 150 published articles, Hmm. um, symposium papers. So I've been active in writing. I really enjoy writing. I've been active in writing for a long time. So I, I have... One, I have some experience with writing. Two, I also have some experience with editing. I edited um, two district papers for many years, and I'm the co-editor of The Forward, which is the UPCI's magazine for ministers in North America. So I've been in that, I've been in the writing arena for a while, so I'm familiar with it. Now. The benefits of that, of course, are enormous. I mean, you you gain experience writing and being edited, and having your work thrown in the garbage, and all that. <laughs> I mean, you learn a lot through that sure. process. Uh, but I also over over those years, I have established somewhat of an audience. I think uh, I don't want to make that more than mm-hmm. it is. But when someone sees something in print, you know, with my name on it, it's if if it's a UPCI person anyway. They've probably seen an article here or there. They may have read one of my other books. So um, church work was not sort of my, it wasn't my entry into published work. So I kind of, I think I had maybe a little head start in that way, but specifically concerning church work, this content, like I said, was, is basically my reflections and experience over the 30 Uh, years I've been here at New Life. I taught most of probably 80, 70 to 80 percent of this content I have taught to our leaders over that span mm. of time, particularly in the late 90s. We started having leadership, annual leadership retreats. A lot of this content in some form or another I taught over the years there. I've taught, of course, many church leadership retreats for other churches, um, you know, leadership uh ministry leadership seminars, Bible college training. I've taught, I've interacted with the content. Um as far as the manuscript though goes, I mean it's a very different thing to teach a lesson yeah. at, than to put something yes, right in writing. I have written some of this in article form over the years here and there, but this book actually sat on my desk. A manuscript of this book sat on my desk for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. I was really close to publishing it uh When I was elected pastor, I started serving as senior pastor in 2010, January, 2010. And that was uh, that 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 really sidetracked or put on hold this whole book thing, because not only did I become pastor of the church, but we were in a 12 million dollar built campus relocation. Mm -hmm. And that was like the next several years of my life. That's what I I did. I didn't really write at all. Um, However, I will say this. When I went to pick up church work to finalize it last year, whenever it was, the concepts were all there, but my perspective was Mm. different because I had written all of this as from the perspective of a assistant Mm. pastor. And all of that I still agree with and it's true, but I found out that my tone was Mm. different. And I also had some of these thoughts tempered by, the, by simply time. Sure. You know, We all get tempered over time, but not only by time, but my experiences then as a senior pastor leading on the other side of that desk. And so the book itself in one form or another has been around <laughs> for decades. Uh, wow. The final rewrite was last year, and uh, I did rewrite it. I, I reshaped the wow. book. Uh, so I, basically I had a fleshed out outline and I rewrote it. So I, I don't know if that's kind of, yeah, sure. You know, uh,
1: the, the next question is in association with that. And maybe you just, maybe, I think maybe the answer I'd guess is 30 years, but the, que- the next question is from time to, t- from the time that you started, how long was church work in development?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the concepts for 30 yeah. years, um, the actual writing the book, pro- probably 20. Wow. Uh, but, you know, this is like a question. How long does it take to prepare? Well, there a sermon? you go. Yeah. You know, sure. it's a lifetime. I could probably put together the actual notes for a delivery in mm-hmm. an hour, two mm-hmm. hours. But what I'm drawing yeah. from is a lifetime of study, reflection, experience, relationship with God. So, you know, it's kind of similar, I think.
1: So let's let's talk about the the meat, some of the meat. We're just getting a portion of it. We we're, I don't know. We're probably going to have to do some follow-up with you, Pastor. Um Hey, let's do it, man. Um, I'm I'm ready. You know, I I like, I really like how you open strong and cut to the heart of the matter in chapter one. You, You make this statement, and I quote, It is easy to view leadership as a means to success and lose sight of the true responsibilities of Christian leadership. As you are... Well aware of, I'm sure we live in a time when many corporate leadership qualities and practices are being overlaid on the church and its leadership. It seems like your book can serve as a a, a pull against the use of secular model of leadership within the body of Christ. So in the in the book, you use the terms follow centric leadership and follow and, and followership. So tell us about these terms and why 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 they are important.
0: Uh Yeah. Um, you know, I think good leadership principles are universal, by and mm-hmm. large. They'll work in Boy Scouts. They'll work in uh, corporate America. They'll work in the church. However, there are nuances for our context. Right. But I think even beyond nuance, though, our starting point is vitally yes. important. And then this goes back to what I said about the- yes, theology. Sir. Our starting point is theological. Now, I use this term follower-centric leadership, and I don't know. Someone sitting out there that has a doctorate in leadership studies probably has run across this term somewhere else, and so I don't know that it's original to me. I've never read it before, but it communicates what what I feel Christian leadership should be, and let me give you an example. If you're in secular leadership, there are great principles you know that you can uh, – lead by that could work in the church, et cetera. I'm not denying that at all. However, if say you're leading a corporation, Mm -hmm. you have a vision, you have a vision for that corporation. You then add followers to the organization in as much as they help fulfill that vision. In as much as they don't fulfill that vision, they are removed from the organization. Yes. Okay that is vision centric leadership mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that's wrong because if you're the if you if you're the ceo of you know coca cola you can't have an organization that's primary purpose is to develop people you're trying to you're trying to right. bottle coca cola and get it out the door and sell it yes for a sir. Comment. now that doesn't mean you treat your employees bad and all that i'm not saying that but i'm saying that is a vision centric model right. of leadership what i'm saying is that in the church we have to have a follower-centric version of leadership. In other words, leadership doesn't start with my yes. vision. Leadership is not about my vision at all. Leadership is about those people who have walked in the yes. door. And people people can never be merely a utility to fulfill Amen. my vision. Amen. I can't subjugate people. You know, I may have a vision to start an outreach, or I may have a vision to build a building, Amen. or I may have a vision to do whatever. Okay, that may be good and well. But the people are not just minions. They're not just a labor force. You know, and so what I'm making the case, I'm not saying vision is not important. In fact, if you read the book, you know there's three chapters at least on Mm -hmm. vision alone. I'm not making the case against vision. What I'm saying is that followers come first. We as leaders exist because of followers, period. They don't exist because of us. If if it, if even if you look at the fivefold ministry Ephesians 4 why do we exist? We leaders exist to equip the followers so they can do the work of ministry. We exist to empower people to grow into their God-ordained identity, to exercise their God-giving gifts, and to become all that God has intended for them. They don't exist to have you know appreciation events for me right. or to fulfill my vision. That's not why they're right. here. And so, you you know, a good leader might, at the end of the day, say, "Well, it really doesn't matter. It it fleshes all out in the end." Okay, maybe, but I think we at least philosophically and theologically have to get this straight yes, from a foundational standpoint. My goodness, the foundation is I exist as a pastor because people need me, not because I have a grand vision. Right. Now, I have to have a vision. I have to have something that I'm leading these people into. However. The vision is always in service of the followers. Followers are not in service of the vision. And I think, again, that's a philosophical thing. You need to get that right. So let's say that I have a vision. You know, I was joking with some of my friends the other day, my pastor friends. They were in building programs. We've all suffered through building programs and know what that pain's like. And I told them at the deepest moment of their most, you know, their deepest agony and pain, I was not, you know, I was being one of Job's comforters to them. (laughs) And so I told them, I said, do do you know what, you know what pastors do when they, when they run out of vision and when they can't grow their church and when they don't know what else to do, they build something. (laughs) That's what they do. That's
1: (laughs) hilarious.
0: You know, buildings are connected to ministry and ministry is for the purpose of people's. However, If I have a vision that I'm going to build something, I really need to know how that benefits followers. I really need – in other words, they're not existing, so I can build a religious Taj Mahal and say, hey, look what I've built. Hear it. No, if I'm building a building, I need to be able to articulate theologically, pragmatically, and philosophically, how does building this building help those people? In other words, if I'm going to ask them to give sacrificially – if I'm going to ask them to labor and volunteer and put their lives on hold while we do this right. thing, I need to be able to articulate how does this lead them and others in future generations to fulfill their calling that God has on their lives well to me that's follower centric leadership mm-hmm. it's all about followers now part two of the question the term followership um you know no one uh, no one grows up wanting to be the vice president, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a good point. Yes, sir. Uh,
0: we, uh, we focus entirely on upward mobility. And I have a chapter in the book um, where I talk about that. Uh, I don't know that that's healthy. Mm. Yes, we want to progress. sure. But, you know, the, the, the Peter there principle, you, you know, it's a satire. You know, we get promoted to our level of incompetence. Um, we all wind up there mm. at some point. And if we're going – we I don't feel like we can say leadership without at the same time saying followership. Mm -hmm. To say that leadership is important is only a different way of saying that followership is important. The reason leadership is important, because followers need to know how to follow. And if we're only focused on leadership, and I use this example in the book, if you only focus on leadership and you don't focus on followership, That's like living in a world where you have perfected the development of of wheels, but you have no roads to drive on. They're they're hand in hand; they go together. You you can't separate them. And uh, someone asked me the other day, and I also made another uh, sort of comparison. You know, you ever seen the guy that works out in the gym and he's all buff? You know, he's ripped, and you know he's got the bulging muscles and all. Except. (laughs) Yeah, in the mirror, right? No, yeah. no, no,
1: no, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I, I was at um, the gym this morning. I saw but, that guy.
0: <laughs> you've also seen the guy that looks like that, but the guy that doesn't work on his legs.
1: There you go. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And, he, and he's and he's he's got true. the little noodles.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, that's like a person who focuses yes. only on leadership but doesn't focus on followership. They're not well rounded. Let me let me throw this out there. I would be willing to say. For ministers, particularly listening right now, but not just ministers, whoever's listening, your most dissatisfying experiences in organizational life, be that in a, on a job, be it in a church, local church or in a denomination, your most dissatisfying experiences are probably as a follower, not as uh-huh. a leader. And if we don't address followership, we're not enabling our leaders to lead. If we don't talk about how to follow well, what's the point of learning how to lead well? You can't lead people who won't follow. And we can have a lot of follow-up conversation about this. You know, I talk about this in the book a lot in those 10 chapters on followership. So, you know, I'm happy to linger there. But yes, follower-centric leadership and followership, those are key to me, non-negotiable. Those are key to the book.
1: Excellent, uh, brother Pastor. You have to excuse me for a minute. I, I'm I've been raising this. I'm, I'm Pentecostal, so I don't know whether I should give in an offering right now or pray. I mean, you're preaching to me, bro. Hey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll take offerings right now. Order the book. You probably already have. Give me a great review on Amazon. I'll take that instead of a uh, instead of an offering. That How sounds about great.
1: I uh, thank you. I want <laughs> I, I do want to follow up because you really, uh so good. Just so good. But. Uh, I want to speak candidly about a side of ministry uh, that can turn dark. I've read a few books over the last year that speak to this issue that um, we must confront in the ministry. I'll I'll just name a couple of the books. When Narcissism Goes to Church, uh, uh, Daniel Henderson wrote a great book called Finishing Well, um, and then R.T. Kendall's Power of Humility. You, You say in chapter one, and I'm quoting you again, You say in chapter one, aspiring to leadership as a means to self-promotion is contrary to the ministry of leadership. Unfortunately, we've all seen this. We've seen church bodies taken advantage of by leaders um, who have the wrong motivations. And in chapter four, you speak of how ingrained the sense of hierarchy was even within the disciples. And of course, how Jesus just turned that system upside down by washing their feet. You make the statement, leaders cannot be intimately connected to followers they do not serve. Chapter eight, dumping, I think it's dumping, delegating, and developing connects to this all well, I believe. So with all of that said, and I just, I spent half the segment framing this. With all that said, I, I just would like for you to share some of your personal thoughts, insights on the, uh, this problem of self-centeredness that that does exist within ministry.
0: Yeah. Well, I would first of all say it's not a ministry issue, it's a human issue. Right. And I think the challenge for ministry is there's this there can be a sense among ministers that we somehow are in an other category. Right.
1: That's true.
0: That that we are somehow other than everyone else, so true, and anytime you anytime you view yourself in exceptional mm. terms, I think you set yourself up for failure oh, goodness. I am subject to the same accountability things that everyone else is in my yeah. church I'm subject to the same accountability procedures that I ask every employee at this church to be a part of um, if I'm not going to be at the office well I, I need to tell somebody mm-hmm. that I can't just disappear right. I mean I, I, in other words I don't live in this vacuum. I'm a human being like every other human being. And so there needs to be accountability structures. I don't need to think of myself in exceptional terms. And a lot of times we tend to, we spiritualize things and it sort of takes away people's arguments, you know? Uh, You know, all this, you know, I'm anointed, all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I think we're going really down the wrong path when we do that. And so I see it as a human issue. You mentioned, you know, that I, I referenced the disciples, of course, they they were, you know, had their issues with sure. that. Uh, John and first John refers to diatrophies and the NIV translated. He says, who loves to be first, mm. um, we want to be promoted now back to kind of the, the larger context of some of these quotes from my book. Looking at, at ministry as a way of promotion mm. now, people, people want to make progress people want to have meaningful lives yes. they want their lives to count they want to matter they want to give themselves to 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 things that that are valuable to them so yes people in the church they want to get involved they want to grow however i think we we have to really be careful that we don't look at say getting a ministerial license as a promotion in other mm-hmm. words now i'm a preacher now i'm there a minister go. now um and i have I have chapters in the book on this, you know, uh, my thoughts on, you know, ministerial license and all that. The word ministry literally means service. And if I'm going to claim, okay, I'm in the ministry, then what I'm saying is I'm in the service, Mm -hmm. not of God. Amen. Well, that's true. Amen. I'm in the service of people. I live as a people. Amen. And and I think that sometimes, you know, people talk about and and I don't like these divisions at all. I understand they're practical, they're pragmatic, but we talk about the ministry. Uh-huh. And we're talking about right. the fivefold ministry. You know, they're in the ministry. Yes. Well, I think yes, I believe in spiritual authority. I believe I believe in all that. I, you know, I, I make my living as a pastor. Of course, I believe in that. But I I think we have to be very careful because historically, now we can get into a whole history side uh, journey here, but Historically, there's really only been upward mobility in apostolic churches. In other words, if you're, if you're gifted, huh. there's only one thing for you to do. You go into, quote, the ministry. You're a preacher. And so historically, I think we're moving past that now. But historically, if you had gifts, if you were articulate, if you were smart, if you were sharp, you were, you were almost by default thrust into ministry. And you became, you know, a preacher. And I think that, first of all, I think that does a huge disservice right. to the kingdom of God and to the I body agree. of Christ. There are tears. There are, there are strata in the body of Christ. And, and there are people in my church who are much smarter than I am. There's people in our church that are much more articulate than I am. Preachers are not the smartest people in the church. They're not the most articulate. They're They're not necessarily the most biblically literate. Yes. What makes a preacher a preacher is the call of God, the claim of God on his Thank life. You for saying that. It's not that he's yes, better, sir. smarter, richer, wiser. I think in ministry it's it's a failure when we think of ministry as a promotion. It's really it's really descending. We're going down. Right. Yes, we're sir. servant of all, we're slave of all. And I think we we really need to get away from looking at the ministry, the vocational ministry as moving up. I think that's a dangerous thing. <laughs>
1: Very good. Excellent. I, I appreciate your words today. And, um, uh, pardon me for just a little pause here. You know, it's a good thing you've got the, you know, this, you know, your mics and your ears because that'd be a mic drop moment. There would not be a <laughs> mic. That's, uh, that's really fantastic information. Um, I want to, I want to go back, uh, with the ap- the AR community, our, our community online. Um, we had a lot of questions, you know, the other day when we were texting and I put out there that I was going to interview you, man, it blew up. Oh, you know, that's cool! That's it's just cool. crazy. It just blew up, and man, you remember those questions coming in from everywhere. I've still got a list. I've probably got fifteen to twenty that we're <laughs> not even going to cover today. Um, but I did select, I did select a couple that I wanted to uh, um, ask you before we wrap wrap things up. But uh, Clayton Killian, uh, he's a part of the AR community. He he a- wanted to ask this question: What biblical passage? best describes your outlook on ministry. It's a good time for that. We just talked about uh, ministry.
0: Sure. Uh, You know, I would have to say, if I had to distill it down to one passage, I would say Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. Um, Amen. You know, we all want to make a difference. We all want to do something meaningful with our lives. But if we actually pull that off, it's because of the grace of God. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: And however, however, I fall short of those ambitions, I would have fallen even farther short if it hadn't been for the grace of God. So, yeah, I'd say that verse.
1: Excellent. Maybe a difficult question to answer, but I want to I want to I want to ask it anyway. What did you find most exciting? What was most exciting writing uh, about uh, church work?
0: Well, you know, as we mentioned earlier, the the process was, uh, you know, multi decades for me. So, you know, I've been immersed in it for a long time. But I was really, quite honestly, that 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 part two on followership. That's my heartbeat. That that's mm. where I'm at. And I, you know, I I primarily, uh, it's the best way to say this, I function better as a follower than I do a leader. Um. I uh, I can function in that role, and when I say follower, I'm I'm meaning follower leader. I refer to that Mm -hmm. term a lot in the book of follower leader. You know, someone that's leading, but they're underneath the leader while they're leading. Um, uh, I I remember telling Brother Bernard once after our pastoral transition here. I told him I said, you know, my dream job, my dream job would be a highly paid assistant pastor. (laughs) (laughs) That's my dream job. That's Um, awesome. So that whole section on followership, I get extremely excited about that um we could have done a whole podcast on followership but
1: we may have to we may oh, have I love to. It. yeah i'd love it <laughs> you're you're very passionate about this brother it's been a been a treat um um you know talking with you about this because you you really live and breathe this i mean you yes, can sir. you can sense that when you're when you're reading the book um you know it doesn't surprise me that it took these years and there's so much experience in that because it just in my opinion it just drips with it i mean it really does my wife and i are uh, taking it apart in small sections at a time, we don't just want to blow through it, uh, but we really want to digest it properly so I um, w- interested to know uh, and what was what was probably the chapter most difficult to write for you and why
0: um, you know, I think some of the ones that were more difficult were some of the more technical chapters uh, chapters you know some of the ones in part three uh, were they're very methodical, you know ten principles of managing conflict. Um, some of those things that are just more sort of, uh, technical, they're kind of systematic points. One, it wasn't me just kind of dumping my thoughts. It was this more (laughs) structured (laughs) thing, uh, making that coherent. So I would say it was more, more of a technical writing challenge than a, than a thought challenge. Uh, as far as the thought goes, man, the whole book was like candy stick for me. I loved every minute of it. (laughs)
1: Excellent. Um, Dr. Dr. Clay Jackson, who, you know, he, he asked this question and, um, I'm want to, I mean, I've been telling you, I want to link on, on your two previous works, your two previous books. Um, but, but what's in the future, do you have anything on your radio radar about what you'd like to write about next? Uh,
0: yes. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, by the way, my, my first two books are nothing. They are nothing like this book. You know, the, uh, the critical scholars dissect, you know, say the epistles of Paul and say, you know, he didn't write some of them because the style is so different. Mm-hmm. If, if if critics someday get a hold of all my work, they're going to say I did not write this book <laughs> or I did not write the first two books. Um, I hear you. The fir- my first two books are inspirational, devotional kind of books, you know. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm working now on a um, – it will probably be released in 2023. I'm, I'm saying that by faith. Uh, 2022, I'm still focused on church work. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be doing a uh, some video recordings of church work, that sort Excellent. of thing. Uh, so 20, 2022 is going to be, uh, you know, I look at the launch at the end of 2000, uh, 2021 is just kind of getting going. 2022 is really, for me personally, all about yeah. church work. In 2023, maybe the fall, if I can uh, get my discipline down, uh, I hope to uh, put out a book, uh, a handbook for pastors, uh, a one-stop place where we talk about preaching. Where we talk about the tasks of pastoring, where we talk about the actual tasks, yes. the things we do. Wow. But not in this sort of I want to blend it. I want to have very practical. Okay. Here's how you here's how I go about doing say a communion service. Sure. But then well, I, that'd also be fantastic. Wanna, I also want I also want to get beyond the mechanics and I want to provide theological and inspirational reflections on communion. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of merge the inspirational sort of uh, and I love writing that way, too. Church work is not like that, but I love writing right. the more inspirational. I want to merge the technical and the inspirational together in a handbook for pastors. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes.
1: Excellent. So, so uh, is that breaking? Did we just break that here? at no, the Apostolic no, 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 no.
0: This is a goal. This is, we'll just say it's a goal. How about that?
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, that I, sounds fantastic. What a what I have a blessing.
0: An I have an outline. I have some draft chapters, but I don't have a firm commitment from the publisher yet. And uh, I don't want to get the uh, cart in front of the horse, but it is a, he it is is a goal. Let's say that.
1: There you go. So um, you have a fantastic website, by the way, and we want to put that oh, out thanks. there. RodneyShaw.com. You can order the book there and find out more about uh, Pastor Shaw and his family. And I noticed um, in, in looking at it the last couple of days, uh, you have an additional resource on your website uh, for church work, it's called the uh, uh, Purpose Clarifier. Someone actually texted me about this today. So if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about that. When you get on the website, what that you got that tab up there. What, what exactly is that?
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I appreciate you asking. I haven't really promoted that. I wanted to let the book get out a little more. Uh, I send people to it, like I texted you about it. Uh, in one-on-one conversations, I'm constantly pointing people to it. Um, I haven't really promoted it broadly because I wanted the book to get out a little more. The purpose, <clears throat> there is a purpose clarifier worksheet on the website, and it's meant to be a companion to mm-hmm. chapter 19 in the book. Now, let me give you a little background. Chapter 19 in the book is on finding purpose as a follower leader. That chapter is targeting assistant pastors, youth pastors, leaders in the middle of the pack and helping them find purpose with their lives right now. Yes. I was an assistant pastor for 18 years. And a lot of times a lot of times it's easy to think that to think in terms of purpose as being down the road. I'll find my purpose when I'm in a different place. I'll find my purpose when a door opens. I'll find my purpose when I get a different pastor. You know, what fill in the blank? And the case that I make in chapter 19 is that purpose is not what we dream about. Mm -hmm. Purpose is what we do every day. So you need to bloom where you're planted. You need to find purpose now in your life. And what I say is uh, that we find our purpose at the intersection of three things. Number one, our calling. What are we called to do? Number two, our constitution. What makes us who we are? Am I single? Am I married? Am I a young family? Am I in debt? Do I have special needs children? Uh, is my wife even saved? In other words, all of those things that make me who I am, mm-hmm. my calling gets filtered through that. The third thing that I mention is context. I can't exercise my calling in this location like I would right. exercise it in another location. So but neither can I wait until I get to that location to exercise my calling. And so I make this case in chapter nineteen that our purpose is found at the intersection of our calling, our constitution, and our context. Those three things, where they overlap, is where we find our purpose. Now, um, that's my audience. The the chapter works for anybody, though, and the chapter, you know, it's for senior pastor, anybody. But that's who I targeted. The worksheet on my website. Is a free downloadable worksheet, and it's meant to be a journaling exercise where it walks you through defining, not not totally defining, I'm kind of making some assumptions that you know what your calling is, but it walks you through kind of clarifying your calling, Mm -hmm. thinking about, critically thinking about your constitution. Okay, what are your assets? What are your liabilities? Who are you as a person? What makes you you? And then part three evaluating your context. And combing through those three things. And then when you get to the end, you write a purpose statement. In other words, what do I do today with my life and my calling? That is my purpose. And so it's kind of a tool to help a person kind of focus on get away from dreamy idealism. There you go. I got to live today. So that's what that is. Thank you for mentioning it.
1: Yes, sir. Amen. I love that. What a great additional tool for growing leaders. Um, Pastor Shaw, I want to say thank you. Um, Thank you, first of all, for writing this uh, timely book, for investing all that time and uh, putting together the context of your experience and the principles that you've learned. And uh, thank you for taking time to uh, spend with us today.
0: Absolutely. I'm honored. Um, I appreciate you giving me, uh, you know, exposure to your audience. I hope uh, it's helpful and You know, I hope what we said, uh, you know, in the book's helpful. That's why I wrote it. I really want it to be a training resource for local churches. I want this to be a book that pastors can get a copy for all their leadership team, and they can talk through that. There's a year's worth of training right here in this book. Talk through this book together, young person. They feel a call of God on their life. Hand them the book, and and you know that's not just a shameless promo from an author. It's it's, it's really what I feel. you know. If you ask me, what do I do? I want to get in ministry. I want to be involved in the local church. I'm going to hand you a copy of this book because I really think it is a pragmatic way to develop leaders and people that want to grow in the church. So thank you. Uh, I don't want to take over this, but I'm, my passion is coming out again. I love church work. <laughs> I love this opportunity. Thank you so much for uh, having me on.
1: Oh what a what a treat! I mean, it's been a blessing for me. I feel like I've been in a training uh, seminar with you. I need to, <laughs> I, I do need to send you something. I feel like for your uh, time and investment in me, I, I do want to ask you one more thing. If you would do this for us, I'd like for you to pray. If you'd just say yes, a prayer uh, for our listening audience and for me, that would be just fantastic.
0: Well, let's do. Amen. Let's pray. Thank Gracious you. Gracious God. I want to thank you for Brother Chester and his ministry and his family, his wife. You know where they're at now. I thank you for what you're doing through them, through this ministry. I pray first for him and his family, his ministry. I pray blessings. I pray that you would guide him and lead him. Thank you. Lord, this audience, I have no idea who's listening to this today, but you do. Lord, someone is out there struggling. Someone is out there Wrestling with a call. Someone is wrestling with what you want them to do in their lives. There's someone out there that feels like they're at a dead end in their ministry and their calling. I pray you speak to them right now. God, I pray that hope, you'd birth hope again in them. Give them a sense of purpose. Give them a sense of, of faith. Give them a sense of progress. And Lord, I pray that all of this would be to the glory of your name and for the benefit of your kingdom. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Shaw. Folks, he made it simple. Go to RodneyShaw.com, a fantastic resource for you and your church. I highly recommend you purchase a copy. I think you'll find yourself challenged in all the right ways. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Do us a favor. And uh, um, do us a favor for the Apostolic Review. Share this episode with your friends. Give us a review. Follow us on all the major social sites. And uh, one more thing, I want to thank my wife, who is an incredible writer and editor, uh, helping with this episode today. Uh, God bless you all. Thank you for being a part. And we look forward to coming to you again.
0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the Apostolic Review, please visit apostolicreview.com.